Welcome to Black Health Matters. I'm Daryl Armistead, your host. This episode is a Zoom recording of Howard University group session led by Dr. Clive Callender. Well, welcome. Uh, Thank you. Um, but anyway, uh, there's also an article on uh, aid and dying, which is not available in every state, in many states, uh, as a matter of fact. But uh, it talks about that as well. But it's nine o'clock and I guess we've got 25 articles that I know we won't get to complete. So I guess we better get started, huh? Uh, John? Okay, Let's see if I can find it here. Uh, uh, hang on. Seems like I see everything except what I want. <laughs> Hold on. Janice is on now. Yeah, Janice, we were talk talking about it. Good Washington morning. Hi, we're talking about the Washington Post article on the new uh, techniques for treatment of tinnitus, which of course yeah. Chris, Chris has so badly. So. My yeah. call my calls attention to that. It's uh, very right. Exhausting. I saw that, and I we was going to yeah. I'm gonna give it to him. You yeah. know, his has gotten worse. Um, hearing, he said he's kind of gotten used to the tinnitus. Um, it used to make him literally fall out, and uh, he went to a doctor, and the doctor told him how to cope with it with the onset, and he can kind of brace himself and uh, get used to it. Get familiar with it. It's all day, all night. Um, the hearing has gotten worse. I think I told you he's now wearing two hearing aids. But yes, I saw that article. I was going to give it to him. Good, good. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, as this is uh, Black History Month, this is an interesting article on the African-American medical pioneers, starting off with uh, Rebecca Lee who was uh, actually one of the first black women to receive, receive an MD degree in the United States. Many blacks had to leave the country to get their degrees uh, to go to other countries because they wouldn't accept them here. Uh, but uh, it's interesting, as after years as a nurse, she made it through in uh, 1864. So it's a, it's amazing what uh, our people have had to go through to become successful. But whatever it took, they were willing to do it and uh, overcome the many obstacles and use them as stepping stones to success. And Rebecca Lee was one of the first. Uh, then there's James Smith, uh, uh, 1837, became the first Black American to receive a medical degree. But again, uh, he had to go outside of the United States, uh, which is not, 
which is sad, but that's the way many of the, the Blacks uh, got their degrees early on. The Unitas Burr is an interesting guy who uh, lived to 1995, and uh, he was the first Black doctor on staff at Michael Reese Hospital in Chicago, uh, but he, he fought uh, many things, but he also uh, set up groups to go across uh, flying back medics, which is a group of practitioners who flew from Chicago to Cairo to bring medical care. Uh, so he's an uh, awesome figure, as well as Sean Richard Drew, who uh, was the chairman of surgery at Howard University and who uh, really is the father of blood banking. And uh, he's known all over the world because he's is is blood banking to save thousands and probably millions of lives uh, because of the blood donations that uh, uh, John and John Buchanan and others are, are doing. <laughs> uh, it's interesting, and they point out that uh, uh, he was black, and uh, they wouldn't accept uh, uh, they they wouldn't accept black blood. Uh, uh, and so he resigned from the American Red Cross because of that. Uh, they wanted to separate the blood into white blood, black blood, and that kind of stuff. And he, he fought it. Later on, they finally did it. Lewis Sullivan is the first uh, Secretary of Health of color, who actually is part of the reason we have the uh, MOTEP, because he, Lewis Sullivan, Lewis Stokes, and John Ruffin. Uh, played a major role in that. He was an uh, uh, awesome doctor and also founding dean of Morehouse Medical College and was secretary of Board of Health. And he's an awesome figure, still alive and uh, still functioning today. Marilyn Hughes Gaston is one of the uh, few women in the National Institutes of Health that has really made a difference. And she continues. Uh, she's alive. She's uh, still working, but not in the NIH like she used to be. She's done many things. Uh, uh, I'm the second black woman to serve as assistant surgeon general. She's the rank of rear admiral. Patricia Bath is uh, actually she's an alumni of Hunter College where I finished and was the first one to start. Uh, doing cataracts the way it's done now. And she's, the, she's a remarkable woman who died uh, just a few years ago after surgery. But she was remarkable in what she did in terms of uh, getting eye eye surgery. And and so many people have cataract surgery. And don't realize this black, black woman is the one who really uh, got the technique together. Herb Nickens is an interesting guy who was a young guy who died. Uh, I think he's playing tennis. But he was uh, uh, first director of the Office of Minority Health and uh, Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, but uh, uh, it's interesting. He uh, uh, really kind of started the uh, majority minority disparity uh, work. And uh, which, uh, after his death, became a, a, a tour de force for the 
people haven't failed. Alexa Kennedy is the, one, the first uh, black uh, female neurosurgeon who uh, uh, dropped out of school, but uh, uh, stuck with it and uh, became a very outstanding neurosurgeon uh, uh, at Children's Hospital in Michigan. Uh, very successful and very productive. Then Regina uh, Benjamin uh, also became known as the uh, the aging United States Surgeon General and the first chair of the National Prevention Council. Uh, but she has uh, been responsible for many of the uh, efforts that uh, that have been addressed at uh, eliminating the majority minority health disparity, which still persists. Uh, we talk about narrowing it. Uh, when really the, the quest be, should be to eliminate it. Uh, but anyway, she's uh, well known. Okay, is that the last one? Uh, oh, oh yeah, and then uh, this, of course, is the newsletter that uh, OTEP is putting out uh, by the, at the end of this month, which talks about uh, the black female surgeons and transplantation. Uh, uh, Dr. Scannerberry, who has been with us on occasions, the first African-American female transplant surgeon, and there's uh, a long list that uh, she's compiled that uh, shares uh, the, the fact that there are now a lot more female African-American surgeons. Uh, many of them are, are unrecognized, but this is an opportunity to uh, actually see uh, as many of them as we know. There are probably more, but these are the ones that we, we know. Constance Mobley is uh, in, uh, actually uh, in Houston Methodist Hospital, one of the outstanding transplant surgeons there. Now this is not all of them, but it's uh, an opportunity, an effort to try to uh, get the list to be as complete as possible. Dr. Simpson, today Simpson is the, uh, right now she's the uh, professor of surgery and also in charge of uh, development and diversity at Northwestern University. Uh, she's uh, been an outstanding transplant surgeon who's really worked in Chicago to get the black population to uh, be, uh, get transplanted. You know about her, uh, Daryl? But uh, if you don't. Uh, yeah, no, I don't. You do know about Denae Simpson? No, I, I don't. Oh, okay. All right, well, she's uh, been working in transplantation in the black community in Chicago, as as, as noted for uh, shedding light on the the, the food, uh, uh, the inability to, to have uh, food uh, uh, food chains, uh, and uh, trying to get uh, uh, blacks to uh, donate organs to get transplants and. Uh, 
to narrow the majority minority disparity. And this is, it's nice to see that you've got a relatively long list because when I started out, they weren't. When I first started, there were none, and then Velma was the first one. And since then, it's nice to see that there's so many others. And that Sherilyn Gordon Burroughs is one of my uh, students that uh, uh, was an outstanding female transplant surgeon who was killed by her husband uh, in, in the prime of her career. Uh, and, uh, but she was an outstanding. Uh, um, transplant surgeon and her memory lingers on and they have many uh, grants and honors that have uh, been bestowed upon her and her memory. Then Motep of Cleveland is, is seated here, uh, which is uh, one of our uh, Motep sites. Uh, and so we've, we've uh, featured, I, mean, I think that we featured the Detroit site and this is the uh, Cleveland site, and uh, we plan to feature all of the six MOTEP sites. Yeah. Okay, I guess that's enough of that. Uh, I worked for Dr. Lewis Sullivan, Dr. Callender, years ago at Health and Human Services, and I remember when you came to speak about organ donation. It was quite a while ago. <laughs> Age. <laughs> <laughs> and then February 28th, we're having the uh, webinar on equity, which is a combination of the National Kidney Foundation and uh, uh, MOTEP uh, with myself and many others. And you'll see a, a long list of people who will talk about uh, uh, equity. Uh, uh, I'm on the panel, but there are many others. Uh, Kirk Campbell, from Mount Sinai, president-elect of the National Kidney Foundation. They have had many Blacks who've been president of the National Kidney Foundation. Velma Scannelbury, of course, the first female Black transplant surgeon. Tangela Purnell, who's an associate professor at John Hopkins, who has uh, written many papers on the uh, effort to get more Blacks to donate. And Morgan Reed uh, is also a transplant recipient. And Karen Raleigh, who's a Muslim who's been an organ donation advocate for decades. So I'm this is- I'm yeah. sorry, I wanted to uh, to tell everybody they can actually register right here from, if you click on your screen, you can actually register for that uh, webinar right from, the, from this document. Right, thank you, thank you. Okay, let's go to the next one. Black History Month, although it's the shortest month, is a, a month that uh, we need to pack as much as we can into it. Of course, this year is a leap year. So we got 29 days rather than 28. But I thought it was interesting, the 10 myths of cardiovascular disease. I'm too young to worry about heart disease. And uh, uh, actually, it starts very early. And, 20 on up, uh, of course, hypertension starts at 10, 11, and 12. Uh, I know if I had high blood pressure, because the, there would be warning signs. Of course, it is a 
silent killer, there are no warning signs often. And so therefore getting your blood pressure checked is important. And uh, uh, many articles that talk about the best place to get your blood pressure checked is at home with your own thermometer and uh, having that done uh, once or twice a week to see what your blood pressure is. Uh, the blood pressure the doctor's office may or not reflect what your real blood pressure is. So having your own thermometer and checking your blood pressure at home is important to do. Keep a record of it and show it to your doctor. I know when I'm having a heart attack because I have chest pain, <clears throat> some people don't have chest pain. They just get shortness of breath. Some get lighthearted. So. But if you have chest pain, there's no question you need to uh, call 911 and uh, that's why I take you to the hospital. Diabetes won't harm my heart as long as I take my medication. Uh, you've got to make sure that your blood sugar is normalized uh, and diabetes will harm all of your, uh, your your blood vessels as well as your brain and kidneys. Heart disease runs in my family, so there's nothing I can do. That's totally untrue because there's much you can do. You can, uh, uh, whether you have a family history of it or not, you can get your exercise, uh, you can manage your blood pressure, maintain a healthy weight, control your, uh, decrease your stress, get 79 hours of sleep, all of those things will help overcome uh, the genetic aspects of what causes hypertension. Uh, getting your cholesterol checked at, at all ages is important because it's a condition called the hyperlipidemia, which occurs uh, genetically and young people have it as well as middle-aged and older. So getting your cholesterol checked is something you should do anyway. Heart failure means the heart stops beating, which is not true. Heart failure just means that the heart is not pumping the blood out appropriately as a consequence. It shows the breath, swelling of the feet and ankles and wheezing, and so, uh, which is different from cardiac arrest in which the heart stops beating and you die. Pains in my leg must be a signs of aging. Actually, it's a sign of decreased circulation in your legs, and uh, there is something you can do about it. Can be treated. So if if you have a difficulty walking, uh, uh, then you need to see a doctor, and a vascular surgeon may be able to correct it. I should avoid exercise after having a heart attack. Actually, uh, exercise after heart attack that is uh, proved by your doctor is is very important. And 150 minutes, as we've talked about. Each week is important, whether you had a heart attack or not. But if you have do exercise and you have chest pain, that means that you have a condition that a doctor needs to help you with because that that is not normal. So you need to see your doctor so that they can find out why uh, you've got uh, uh, coronary artery disease. Any comments about these uh, myths about uh, um, kind of I, had a question, I had a question, Doc, about number nine. Uh, is that uh, AFib? No. Tachycardia is uh, uh, when your heart beats fast. AFib is when your heart beats irregularly. Uh, it also beats fast also, but it's irregular. Whereas tachycardia means that your heart rate uh, is higher than normal. 
If it's higher than 100, that means you have tachycardia. But that does not mean that you have atrial fibrillation. Tachycardia means your heart is beating normally, but it's fast. Whereas atrial fibrillation, the heart is beating irregularly and it's fast. Okay. Right. So the difference is that uh, tachycardia is usually caused by something else and that can be corrected. But in the arrhythmia, such as AFib, often will require a procedure to convert you from atrial fibrillation to normal heart rate or give you medication so that you don't get a blood clot because of the atrial fibrillation. Would, um, would a pacemaker be appropriate for those? Not for uh, uh, atrial fib. Uh, pacemaker is appropriate if you have a slow heart rate. The, the normal heart rate is from 60 to 100. And if your heart rate is less than 60, that uh, is too slow. And that is a good case for a pacemaker. Uh, but uh, some arrhythmias are good, 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 uh, where you have irregular heartbeats uh, that are not controlled uh, can be an indication for a pacemaker. And they can make all the difference in the world. For some uh, people who are octogenarians over 80 who uh, have uh, irregular heartbeats, pacemaker may make a difference, uh, such as night and day, so that uh, somebody who was uh, almost chair-bound or bed-bound suddenly is able to get up and walk around and cook with themselves and do everything else that they used to do before. So a pacemaker can make a big difference. And this is American Heart Month, so it's good to talk about that. Any uh, comments, other questions about uh, the number one cause of death in the world is heart disease and heart failure. So uh, correcting your blood pressure and, and having a, a, a normal heart goes I a long way. What's that? Sorry. I didn't learn a new symptom of um, signs of heart attack, um, flu-like symptoms. Uh, are an indication sometimes that you can have a heart attack. Is that not true? No, I didn't hear what you said. Flu-like symptoms are also an indication of heart attack. What kind um, of symptoms? Flu-like. Flu. Um, flu. Symptoms that are like flu. The flu. Oh, oh well, the flu is, is, is not... Uh, well, here's, here's what is more likely if you have shortness of breath. And, and you could have... Sometimes the flu can give you shortness of breath, but one of the commonest uh, things that will give you shortness of breath is a heart attack. So it's the shortness of breath, the inability to breathe, that is more commonly a sign of a heart attack than, uh, but so the flu is different in the sense that you have a fever and chills and those kinds of things. So if you have shortness of breath and you don't have a fever and chills, then that is like a symptom of a of a heart attack. Could be one of the first signs of a heart attack. Does that answer your question? It does, absolutely. Okay. Okay, uh, this is an article that uh, points out that uh, you can be a kidney donor at 70. And uh, we've had many examples of healthy people who are over 70 who uh, donate their organs and they live long lives thereafter. Uh, this is a, a center in 
Japanese hospital, but uh, this occurs all over the world in which, uh, and in order to be a donor, you have to be perfectly healthy anyway. And so uh, once you're perfectly healthy, age is not a contraindication for transplantation or donation. Although there aren't many donors or who are over 80, but, but uh, uh, that, the reason is because most people over 80 have, uh, are not, not as healthy and they have other issues such as uh, heart disease and kidney disease and, and lung disease and other things. So, so for somebody who is uh, healthy, uh, age is not a reason why you couldn't be a donor for somebody. Dr. Gallander, what is that EGFR? That's glomerular filtration rate. And uh, the, uh, the normal glomerular filtration rate is anywhere from 80 to 120. Uh, and uh, so if your uh, glomerular filtration rate is lower than uh, 80, although some, some centers will tell you that 60 is the lower limit. I, I, while that may be true, I, I prefer to think of 80 as being the lower limit uh, for the glomerular filtration rate, which means uh, uh, you make urine when you, your blood goes through the kidney and the kidney filters out the poisons and puts those poisons in the urine. And uh, that is called the glomerular filtration rate where it filters um, the bad stuff and puts it in the urine and keeps the good stuff. That's an oversimplification, but that's uh, what uh, the moral filtration rate is all about. Thank you. I need I need simple. Thank you. Okay. Any other comments or questions? Uh, um, it is, and I think one of the things that has happened over the last ten to fifteen years, deceased donor have increased every year for the last 15 years. Living related donors have either stayed the same or dropped over the last 15 years. And so this is an area that uh, we need to do more of because uh, living donor kidneys last longer than deceased donor kidneys. And so uh, this is an area that we need to have more uh, people of color to donate organs. All you need is one kidney for life. So if you have two, one could help somebody else, assuming that both of your kidneys are healthy. That's the assumption. One, one, one more question, Doc. Uh, it says mortality rates were highest among patients age 70 to 89. Is he talking about the, the people that need? Uh, and that's, it's general. Uh, Mortality rates are highest among patients who are older than 70. And that's why many people think that uh, they couldn't be donors. And so, but uh, that's why if you're going to be a donor, you have to be perfectly healthy. Uh, and, you, and your kidneys have to be perfectly healthy and, and you uh, have to be in good shape. So, but it is true that, of course, the older you get, the mortality rate increases. And this is an article that it kind of frightens a, a bit in that young black women have the highest blood pressures. 
and they have triple the risk of stroke, stroke versus people without hypertension. And, and what that means is if you've got high blood pressure and you're a woman, that you need to make sure that your blood pressure is controlled. And when we say control, we usually mean in the range of 120 over 80 or thereabouts. Uh, and if it's higher than that, uh, it's ideal to get it down in that range. Uh, uh, because uh, particularly if you're a young, if you're a black woman, uh, the likelihood of stroke is greater. And of course, uh, cardiovascular disease and stroke are very common in our population. As you know, the uh, commonest cause of a kidney, kidney disease is uh, diabetes, and secondly, is uh, hypertension. And both of these uh, predispose you to having a stroke. But uh, what they're saying that in women, they are more likely to have it than men. And, and uh, particularly if they have hypertension. And since it is a silent killer, you're not going to know it unless you get your blood pressure checked. Any questions or comments? Huh? Uh, I hope all of you have uh, blood pressure apparatuses at home so you can take your blood pressure because that's the best place for you to, to uh, get your blood pressure checked at, at home. Uh, you can get it at the doctor's office as well, but the, the most appropriate place to get your blood pressure checked is at home by you. Any comments or questions about this very important article? Okay. Uh, <laughs> this is a nice article that talks about things we already know, but we need to reemphasize. Seven to nine hours of sleep a night is, is important. Uh, keeps the blood pressure normalized and uh, protects against heart disease and many other issues. You notice that's number one, while they sleep. Second, keep your blood pressure, uh, blood sugar uh, in the range of 100 or lower. And then uh, something we emphasize all the time, eat as much uh, vegetable fruits and lean proteins and healthy fats. Monitor the sugar, salt and sugar are not good for you. Though we love it, it's not good. Manage stress, easy to say, and that's why meditation is important. Prayer, meditation, exercise. Uh, and uh, there are many ways to exercise, but walking is one of the simplest ways. Uh, uh, of course, John Buchanan is a swimmer, which I think is one of the greatest exercises. Uh, but the walking uh, is good for most people as well. Then for control your cholesterol, well, first you got to get your cholesterol checked and to make sure that the uh, good protein is, uh, the uh, HDL protein is normal and the LDL protein is not too high because the uh, high LDL cholesterol gives you arteriosclerosis, which is what causes heart attacks. 
And then uh, we, he, what's number five? Blood pressure. And he says that uh, the blood pressure is higher than 130 over 80. Uh, then this is dangerous, and that's that's correct. So I just say in the one in the one twenties or lower. Any questions uh, about any of this? Yeah. Um, for, for number one, is it an issue for someone who sleeps more than nine hours, like maybe ten hours? Is uh, it be dangerous? There, there are studies that suggest that. Uh, Ten over ten hours is is not healthy. Yes. And so why, why why would that be? I don't know. And the studies just associated a higher uh, mortality and heart disease with people who sleep, sleep longer than ten. Remember, Myra Thorpe is one of those who tends to sleep more than ten hours. And uh, uh, when we looked into that, they did indicate that. Uh, they didn't explain why, but they did say that it's it's associated with a higher mortality rate. Could it could it deal with uh, depression as well? That you know, people who are depressed have a tendency to sleep a lot. I don't I don't know the answer to that, so I, I I'm afraid to speculate. Okay, thank you. Doctor Calder, good morning. Um, what about less than seven hours? It's not good. A, it's not good. Six hours is not good enough. There have been studies that have right. looked at it and figures below seven hours. And uh, they say six hours is not good. Uh, <laughs> I know many of us don't do the seven and nine, right. but uh, that's the figure. Seven is the lower number. Six is not good. Thank six you. hours is not good. It's you. I have irregular sleep habits, and uh, I sleep an average of five hours a night. Haven't always been that way. It's just recent couple of years. Um, Health-wise, I think I'm okay. And I do keep my doctor's appointments. Um, but it's difficult to, I have broken sleep patterns. But after that five hours, I might doze, wake up, doze. But basically, it's only five hours a night. Uh, with that being said, um, with this article, uh, it could possibly affect my blood pressure. Um, for now, it's good, but I'll make sure to track it. Okay, there's, there's uh, many ways to look at it, but the bottom mm -hmm. line is the seven to nine is what is the feature that they recommend mm -hmm. in all the studies. I've looked at many studies that looked at six hours, and they had, they said that uh, that still is not doesn't give the brain enough time to uh, uh, recover from day's activities yeah uh, one thing you may need to check if you're not getting enough sleep are your magnesium levels um, and if they are low you need to take magnesium supplements take them at night right before you go to sleep and magnesium will help you sleep more soundly and longer thank you any other comments um I think uh, you may wonder, you got a comment, Elizabeth? Yes, uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Dr. Callender. Uh, cocoa, it, it's, it's not the best tasting thing in the world, but if you don't have a milk allergy or something, sometimes um, I just add one teaspoon 
to my hot milk or cocoa. And that, that when I know my magnesium is low, uh, and that helps a great deal. And exercise will wear you out too, so you get a good sleep. So it's all those components, all those pillars that keep out. Uh, that's what I do. Right. And uh, the, the exercise that really helps sleep is uh, lifting weights. doesn't really have to be uh, heavy weights, but uh, just where you can um, get a pump and, um, you know, to satisfy that half hour a day or 15 minutes or whatever. But whatever you invest in lifting, it will help your sleep. Thank you very much for those comments. Any other comments? If not, uh, you may wonder why so much emphasis on high blood pressure. Well, as we mentioned before, the number one cause of death in the world is uh, cardiovascular disease and hypertension is the leading problem with that. And so uh, if you can do nothing else, of course you can do other things. One of the things that you need to do is to get your blood pressure controlled. Uh, uh, that is, goes a long way to increase longevity. And that's why there's so many articles on uh, on uh, uh, high blood pressure. Now, one of the things is also you have to be aware that if you take blood pressure medicine that gives you side effects, you have to let your doctor know because, uh, uh, and, and so you don't just stop the, the high blood pressure medicine. What you do is you let your doctor know that you've got side effects and uh, you want to be on a blood pressure medicine that doesn't give you the side effects that you're complaining about. And since we have so many antihypertensives now, there's no reason for you to take a high blood pressure medication that gives you side effects. And so uh, this is important because many years ago when I first started, we didn't have uh, that many antihypertensive drugs. And so people uh, uh, felt they had to uh, deal with the side effects that occur from some of those medications. But now we have so many uh, antihypertensive medications that that is no longer the case. Dr. Callender, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, what is um, what is milk of magnesium good for? It's good for uh, uh, constipation. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it for uh, hypomagnesemia, which is a low magnesium. But uh, but I but I guess I answered your question. It's good for constipation. Yeah, now, I, one I had uh, I had issues um, with my blood pressure medication, and uh, a question after this: um, when I would stand, I would get lightheaded, almost like vertigo. Yeah. So my my doctor and I, I think I was taking a tenolol by itself, mm -hmm. and. He switched me to uh, uh, a lower dose of a tenolol and then added lisinopril. There, there's all kind of uh, different, like you said, uh, medications for um, hypertension now. Uh, and the other thing, I mean, this, this first statement here uh, caught my attention. Uh, when to scale back or to stop them completely? 
how how would you know if all you know you change your lifestyle, you change your uh, exercise patterns, you know, you get healthy, uh, start eating better. How would you know when it's okay to stop altogether? Um, well, well, when the only way you would know that is when you you taper down your medications and you let's say your blood pressure is around one ten over eighty, and uh, as you lower your blood pressure, as you take as you down down your blood pressure medication, your your blood pressure stays in that range. Uh, then, and only then would I think you could do that. You notice one of the figures it said only one out of four people who are hypertensive actually have their blood pressure under control. So it's, it's, it's rare that that occurs. But but when you get to the point where your blood pressure is less than 120 over 80 uh, without the use of antihypertensive, that, that, then you could uh, do that. But even then, I would think you would check your pressure at home maybe once or twice a weekend and see that you maintain it because uh, sometimes when you, uh, as you age and as you, uh, uh, you, you may not uh, no longer, uh, in other words, you need to be monitoring to make sure that it stays that way. Because if, if, if after you, after let's say six months, uh, it goes back up again, then you're not under control. So, so I think the real key is to monitor your blood pressure and when, uh, you uh, get to the point where your blood pressure is normal without any medications. Uh, keep monitoring and uh, feel free to do that. It it just seems a little scary or uh, you know uh, dangerous even you know for us, I agree. us as individuals to to think <laughs> well maybe I don't need this blood pressure medication because it's it's affecting my libido or whatever and then yeah. and then you do that i think it's bad advice yeah i agree with you i, I agree it's bad i would never put that there but uh, uh i think uh, monitoring is the key uh to make sure that you're under control and the fact that one in four uh people under being treated for hypertension are not properly controlled is a, a reason while we still have so many people who uh, have strokes and uh, other complications from hypertension. So monitoring is the key, along with the other things that we've mentioned. Eve Ferdinand is uh, one of the outstanding black doctors who is uh, been a hypertensive specialist for decades now. And you see what he says there. You cannot just drug abruptly with the medications uh, because there's a rebound phenomenon in, when, in which when you take, when you stop the medication abruptly, uh, the rebound is that the blood pressure goes out of control and it becomes higher than ever. So uh, just stopping medication is uh, not a safe thing to do, and it's better to be under the care of a physician when you do that. Any comments or questions about uh, any of these issues? Okay.
Well, this is an interesting article that talks about everything these days is robots. And uh, they have a robot that can go through your blood vessel and uh, uh, overcome, eliminate that blood clot or plaque that's blocking the blood vessels. And so this is one of the newest developments that uh, they put this uh, uh, put this uh, uh, robot into the blood vessel, uh, and, and and of course we have other ways of doing it, but this is a relatively new uh, that is being tested. So that isn't something that uh, willy nilly you go and do because we have other techniques that work uh, that uh, eliminate blood. As we mentioned before, strokes occur because of one of two reasons. Either you have a blood clot that blocks the circulation in the brain, or you have a hemorrhage in the brain in which bleeding uh, damages the brain. Uh, <clears throat> the blood clot, when diagnosed early enough, often can be uh, dissolved by uh, medications or by techniques that I remove the blood clot. The hemorrhage is is much more feared because uh, uh, the bleeding sometimes can be cannot be stopped, uh, and most often the bleeding is associated with high blood pressure, and that's why we talk so much about controlling the blood pressure. Because when the blood pressure is uncontrolled, you can get bleeding in the brain, and bleeding in the brain is difficult to control. Any comments about this new technique that uh, may become available in the near future? A uh, question about how it works. Okay, controlled by magnets. So they take a magnet on the outside and just, you know, physically move the uh, the robot, you know, by hand or how, how, do you have any idea how it works? Oh, it's pretty much as you said, they just, uh, the magnet doesn't, but, uh, Remember, this is experimental and it has not gotten to the stage that uh, it is approved by FDA for treatment. And, and Dr. Keller, it is so tiny. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why the potential for good is great. Okay, let's go to the next one. Oh, is this... Yeah. Uh, I'd like to back up a little bit to uh, blood okay. pressure. Uh, black patients are more salt sensitive than whites, which is due to a tendency to retain sodium in the kidneys. So black race population manifests higher blood pressure response to change in salt intakes than whites. Um, so, you know, we follow their diet, but salt is like uh, really not good for us. Uh, a lot of the, aside from men complaining about uh, hypertensive medicines uh, and the change in libido, another common complaint is that blood pressure medicines uh, have a diuretic effect of making you urinate more often, you know, which could really be um, problematic. Uh, but if you just take the salt out of your diet, then it's possible uh, that you're going to have overall good effects by removing the salt from your diet. You know, it's addictive. It tastes so good, 
but uh, even just uh, totally eliminating the salt, not putting the added salt when you're cooking, uh, can make a huge difference on on your blood pressure and um, being able to adjust medications to avoid the problems of diuretic effect of excess urination. And I think that we also have a, another uh, article that uh, says exactly that, that if you, uh, uh, all they did was uh, uh, you substitute salt substitutes uh, and uh, that alone uh, lowered the blood pressure. So you can imagine just stopping salt will do the same thing. Yeah, there it is. That's the article. Just as uh, uh, Daryl had said, salt be the two uh, most dangerous uh, substances that we know of that we take in commonly are salt and sugar. Uh, easy to say, hard to do, but that's a fact. The fact. Just as a sidebar. I've given up sprinkling salt on my food for Lent. <laughs> That's healthy. That's healthy. Hey, Dr. Dr. Perez, I see you here again. Any comment? I was going to say that um, I, I've i learned a lot. <laughs> Wonderful to hear. Um, I guess to to really begin to address salt intake, you have to address eating out yeah. <laughs> um, because uh, if, if you cook for a week and then have one meal, um, definitely if it's from a fast food entity, you will taste how salty it is. <laughs> and they have to do that to be able to preserve the meat, so cutting down on eating out, I think, will make a significant impact on salt intake. Any other comments before we uh, leave this? Because uh... Uh, yes, Dr. Callender, um, what I really love about the sessions where you explain everything and so that we can understand it and everything. Uh, it has helped me, uh, even though I'm a wellness coach, it has helped me because um, I had the white coat syndrome. <laughs> and so they finally, uh, <laughs> they finally gave me a monitor. And now I used to have a monitor, my own monitor in my diary. So now I got everything that goes direct to my doctor. And I can also put my diary on there. And what I monitor is... I monitor my blood pressure because it determines in 24 hours how it affected my body. And uh, so that taking my blood pressure every morning determines what I eat that day. And one of the things that I had to give up was spinach because it had surprise sodium in it. Okay, thank you. Another comment about what you can do to replace salt um, because, you know, main complaint, it takes salt and said, my food is just so bland. It doesn't taste good. Use things like lemon, lemon zest, vinegar, cayenne pepper, 
black pepper. Get familiar with your spices. They'll make the flavors pop. Your food will taste so good. And after a while, you won't even think about the salt. <laughs> I had a question and, Doc, about the salt substitute. Um, so it's it still addresses that that need that we have. Um, what is the salt substitute? Uh, actually, the, this explains it here that the salt substitute that they give is potassium, uh, and potassium, uh, if you take too much of it, uh, causes own problems but uh yeah potassium is the sub generally is the salt substitute and uh, so uh, you can't take too much of that either but it is clear that the uh uh just the substituting of salt with salt substitute will uh decrease your blood pressure it's interesting because in bananas they have a lot of uh potassium and, and that's the anti-hypertensive factor of bananas. Yeah, Dr. Callan, I just, I keep this article on my refrigerator. It says, it talks about the three amigos, you know, potassium, calcium, and uh, potassium, calcium. It's three of them. Magnesium. Magnesium, that's what it is. The three amigos. And it talks about that dark green leafy vegetable. <laughs> okay, great, great. Any other comments before we move on? One of the great things about this session is we have so many people who can contribute, and uh, we appreciate uh, the fact that you all feel free to to uh, chime in and educate us all. Uh, this is an article that talks about the cholesterol-lowering diet for heart health and and uh, uh, one of the things that people don't realize is that uh, uh, cholesterol-lowering diets are, are good as well, and that uh, uh, everyone does not have a normal cholesterol. Some people have uh, genetic hyperlipidemia, which uh, I have, as a matter of fact, I have a good friend who uh, had a heart attack and almost died from it uh, and had to be placed on cholesterol-lowering medication. Uh, and so uh, knowing what your triglycerides level are and your cholesterols and recognize the value. Once again, we talk again of plant-based diets uh, is something that is meritorious. And uh, so eating more fiber and plants and uh, exercising all go towards uh, addressing uh, the many uh, ways of which uh, cholesterol and triglycerides uh, have to be uh, managed. But if you don't get your cholesterol, then you don't know about it. Uh, the trans fats are uh, actually pretty much illegal now, although uh, uh, French fries and those things still uh, will test you. And this kind of talks about the things that uh, egg yolks and uh, uh, reduced uh, meats. Yeah. So I think this is good advice here in terms of uh, heart healthy diets. 
I know we're not going to live forever, but uh, anyway. Taking steps in the right direction is still good for you. Uh, you know, this is an article to me which is uh, counterproductive to me. A healthy diet is important, whether you're on an Atlantic diet or Mediterranean diet. Doesn't really, really matter. But uh, since it's something new, uh, uh, I, I think that uh, any diet for which you have fruit, fruit vegetables, uh, emphasize nuts and fish, that you're going to be okay. Whether it's the Mediterranean diet or any other diet, I think the uh, this shows you a list of the foods that are in the Atlantic diet, and uh, uh, it's good to look at it and see that they're pretty much are the same things that uh, are rec recommended anyway. Of course, if you're a vegan, then uh, uh, the, uh, the products that will not do well for you, like milk and uh, the fishes, but uh, and eggs, but uh, Daryl, any comment? Oh, uh, yeah, uh, bread. I have a question for Bread Darryl. is ulcers, what's that? You said bread is what? Bread usually has high sodium content. So for yeah, hypertensives yeah. or black people, uh, and it's also calorie dense. So if you need to lose some weight, skip the bread. I had a question for Daryl. Uh, this one right here under eggs, pulses, what is that? Anybody know? I don't, I don't have a clue. Okay. Here we go. Well, you know, one of the uh, potatoes is probably underappreciated. Uh, It's interesting they talk about uh, red meat and uh, uh, lean red meat. And uh, uh, so, those of you who, who really uh, want to uh, look at the diet can look at this and decide how you want to uh, change oh, your diet. I found the answer for pulses on Google. Uh, okay. They include beans, lentils, peas. Uh, oh, kidney beans, things. chickpeas, soybeans, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. mung beans. Yeah, that, those are the good things, right? Okay. They call them pulses, so. <laughs> yeah, because I think they call them pulses because they make you poot in, in rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to Daryl. <laughs> the more you eat, the more you poot. <laughs> well, it's, it's that's good for you. Good for you. Well, I would suggest staying away from Atlantic uh, um, salmon, um, and over I would prefer the wild salmon. Um, the Atlantic salmon is, you know, put in a vat, and that's how they're fed. They're not. Uh, they don't naturally spawn. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, this is something that uh, people who are on blood thinners for different conditions 
uh, or you take aspirin. Uh, uh, kale, of course, is a, a vegetable that is uh, suggested that uh, if you're, uh, because it has uh, large amounts of vitamin K, which stops the, uh, uh, it's, it's the opposite effect of what uh, blood thinners do. And so if you eat kale, you have to keep in mind that uh, uh, you're doing just the opposite of what your blood thinner is doing. So uh, what that means is that you can take kale, but you need to be very careful about it so that you should become a kale enthusiast uh, if you're on blood thinners because uh, it, uh, 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 blood thinners uh, actually are the opposite direction of what vitamin K does. Vitamin K is more or less uh, can cause clots, whereas blood thinners uh, do just the opposite. They keep you from forming clots. <laughs> now, so that, that, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, Darryl, I think uh, turmeric and uh, grapefruit are not recommended if you're on blood thinners. That's right. Yeah. Okay. What was the other word there? Grapefruit. Grapefruit and turmeric. Grapefruit. The spice. Turmeric. Oh, yeah. Okay. Dr. Atto has a question. Hello. Yes. All right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, Dr. Kalenda, thank you for all what you have been doing. I have a quick question. I don't know if anybody can help me with this. Uh, is there any major nutrition, nutritional uh, value between wild caught and uh, farm raised? Uh, seafood uh, uh, products like fish. Uh, is there any major nutritional value between wild caught and farm raised? Uh, I found out that the this uh, they taste different in my mouth, and their prices are different. The farm raised is cheaper, but uh, as for uh, the nutrition they provide is there any major difference. Anybody can help me with that. I don't know the answer to that. Although I've seen a couple of articles that have discussed it, but I don't know the answer to that. Uh, uh, Dow, you have any ideas to uh, the what is the main difference between the wild uh, seafood and the farmed seafood? Uh, yeah. Uh, let's see, I was looking for the official answer on Google, but uh, without looking at it, uh, what they usually generally do for farm-raised fish is that they add uh, hormones, antibiotics, uh, hormones, uh, the growth hormones to, to have fatter fish, so you can increase your, uh, your crop yield, so to speak. Uh, yeah. The antibiotics, um, okay, they're, they're in a... Um, 
more uh, dense environment if you uh, as farm raised because you can have farm raised catfish too. And so uh, basically the the fish are swimming in their own waste a, a lot more than in a free environment. And so you have to do things to, to keep them healthy, to, uh, to get them to the, to the dinner plate. And so, uh, yeah, your fish, fish are going to be more toxic in farm raised environments than they are uh, wild salmon or wild catfish. So whenever you can, you want to avoid farm raised fish. Okay. Okay, they, they taste different. They don't taste, the farm raised uh, do not taste right in my mouth, you know. And although they are cheaper, but uh, they taste kind of funny in my mouth. That's why I brought this question. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, especially with salmon, uh, salmon is, is redder in the stores than it is in the wild uh, because yeah. they add dye to it to make it more attractive so you'll buy it. Okay. You know, there's a long history of toxic effects of, of food additive dyes. You know, there is a restaurant called Long John Silver. And yes. on the menu, they always advertise farm-raised eggs and chicken and, and different things like that. Mm -hmm. So that leads a person to think that because they are not caged, they're going to be better. Okay. But what you all—I think saying, you're talking about you're talking about free range, which is, is a different issue. And like, is free range really free range? <laughs> a lot of times, it's, it's false advertising. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. I uh, I think I learned a little bit today. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for the question. Uh, this is an article on uh, good old. Cheerios and Quaker Oats, uh, and that, uh, you know, there's, there's a group called EWG that uh, looks at uh, everything, and they talk about the pesticides and so many things, and often we uh, think that uh, Quaker Oats is the, and Cheerios are free from that, but apparently uh, there are pesticides in that as well. Although uh, most people refer to oats as being uh, the uh, safer variety. Uh, <clears throat> this is an article that says that uh, uh, pesticides uh, are found in that as well. I didn't realize quick oats is a division of PepsiCo. Right, right. Just like, just like in the article uh, that we discussed, that's a while back that um, the sick makers uh, own, uh, makes uh, the cookie, uh, the Oreo cookie. Oh, <laughs> used to be one of my favorite cookies. <laughs> yeah, full of sugar though. <clears throat> this was an interesting article that uh, I, I, I'm sure this group would be appreciate. Uh, how music boosts the cognitive health after the age of 40. <clears throat> and uh, there have been a number of articles that have pointed out that the aging brain uh, really appreciates uh, music. Uh, and uh, I think we've had many examples of how people who play instruments and how music 
and uh, octogenarians and uh, older people uh, positively influences uh, their health and their aging and their memory. And uh, this is an article that uh, talks about the benefits of playing a, a musical instrument. A lot of musicians out there, what are your comments? You see all of the benefits. Improve memory, enhanced yes. concentration, stress reduction, increased creativity. Any comments? <laughs> yeah, this article is absolutely true, and it's uh, it's medical gold. Uh, you know, playing a, a musical instrument uh, is definitely, I mean, it's good for your spirit, but it really, <laughs> it, it um, <clears throat> has highlighted my short-term memory loss. Um, if it weren't for my iPad, I couldn't do my gigs. I have to, my, my memory is, is very, very poor, uh, especially, uh, when you're talking about, uh, you know, I, I've got like 900 songs on my iPad, and I can't, yeah. I can't remember them. You know, I mean, even if it's, um, you know, 40 or so per gig, possibly. Um, if it weren't for my iPad, I, I couldn't remember them. But 900. Uh, that, songs? Yeah, that's what I have on, on my iPad. I, you know, I play I play with different groups and orchestras and everything. So I put all all of my music on my iPad. Uh, so, some of the some of the songs. I mean, you play so often, o over and over again. You don't. I, I memorize them, but if I'm playing with with different groups and you know, it, it's really hard for me to remember all of that stuff. So. <clears throat> But yeah. I think probably better. Definitely, um, you know, music has uh, uh, enabled me to to relax, uh, to sleep. Sometimes uh, it definitely changes changes my mood. You know, uh, the the physics of music is also um, an interesting concept because you know uh, you're not going to if, if you want to relax, you're not going to play uh, hard rock, you know. Uh, <laughs> you'd probably, you know, be better off playing choir music or orchestral music, uh, uh, symphonic, you know, uh, styles of music. But, uh, yeah, I love this article, though. Okay. I, I personally have heard that we've had plenty of articles about music per se and um that that it's good for you but this is i saw in this article about playing the instruments so i think it's time for me to um tune up my piano and start playing again <laughs> well you know very few people talk about the the singers as a matter of fact some of you don't even think uh, and singing think singers yeah. are musicians but they but, are uh, <laughs> they are. But this 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 article does give us uh, inclusion. <laughs> so if you can't play an instrument, you know you probably can sing unless you're tone deaf. Uh, and singing can really can really lift your spirits, oh, yeah. uh, improve your mood, and do a lot for you. 
But, you know, just be honest. If you're a bad singer, uh, go somewhere where you don't bother people that get offended by you, your lack of skill. Like in the shower. <laughs> yeah, you're safe in the shower. You're right. <laughs> or, or you can the calendar, or you can be a solo singer. Means that you sing so that nobody else hears it, but you. <laughs> solo well, can nobody the, hear it. I love the conclusion, though. It's uh, very great. Yeah. I love uh, I love playing guitar. I love to play guitar. Although I'm not so good at it, I have I have one nice guitar in my house. But uh, listening to music also, listening to music yeah. sometimes yeah. relaxes you. You know that's absolutely exactly yeah. that's what I I do most of the time. You know, yeah. yeah. If you go to an opera, it'll put you to sleep. <laughs> uh, okay, let's go to the next one. Yeah, this is interesting because we don't often recognize that uh, mosquitoes, ticks, fleas, and lice make life difficult. Uh, and uh, the incidence has doubled over the last 20 years. And uh, Lyme disease and other diseases in which uh, these vectors uh, are problematic, uh, it's important for them to to do what they're doing in terms of trying to decrease this. Those of you who've had Lyme disease or anything like this would appreciate it. Uh, so uh, it's a welcome uh, information to know that they're working to do this. Uh, it's particularly important to people who move around in the grass. Uh, <laughs> Because, and then of course, the mosquitoes uh, get you whether you're in the grass or not, uh, and fleas and those things. So, so the emphasis on on decreasing the vector uh, diseases is is welcome. Any of you have any personal experience with any of this, or want to make any comments? Uh, one vector is malaria caused by mosquitoes, mm -hmm. and uh, blacks have sickle cell because it's a mutation that helps protect against malaria. Uh, that was a historical major cause of death in Africa. So sickle cell actually protected us. It's just that we don't have the rate of malaria over here in the United States. And so, you know, it was a blessing, but now it's a curse. Well, you know, malaria is still one of the uh, common causes of death in the world, which is amazing. Okay. Opportunity for for advocacy, because um, we disproportionately are in areas, live in areas, are exposed to areas um, in which these vectors. Um, reside, and so we must always, you know, ring the alarm to to address it. Standing water, um, you know, common things that put us at risk. So you know, dialing up three one one 
for a neighbor who's unable to, because it affects the community, becomes very important. Thank you. Now, you may want to make some comment, Lucy, about this historic change to opioid treatment policies. Uh, uh, this is the first time in more than two decades that they updated uh, overdose prevention and response toolkits because of the alarming uh, increase in deaths. Of course, I was shocked to see this, that not only is the infusion of uh, drugs common cause of death, but also is the smoking and snorting. Uh, and so, uh, and the fact that they have toolkits and the fact that you can get uh, over the counter uh, uh, is, is something that is very positive. Do you want to make any? More comments about that, Lucy. Just that um, as the population changed, um, I think Malcolm X said that the uh, rooster or the chicken, come, the rooster comes home to hatch. That when it was a a significant issue in our community, it really wasn't addressed. And now it is an opportunity for us to make sure that there's equity in making Narcan and these treatment kits available. So you're suggesting that, that that's the only reason why we, we're doing this now is because the whites are more involved? Uh, yes. <laughs> and, uh, well. Okay. Uh, well, also, uh, you have to look uh, where the resource funds come from, where there's more plentiful uh, resource funds and, and other resources that promotes that. Yes, and those policies, though, are made. The, the numbers didn't significantly change. It was that now you have a population that has as a political uh, and economic investment in this. Because, you know, just as, you know, we can, we, we, we tend to get to a point where we other stuff. So when it's not me and it's other, then um, I can walk by it. I, I, I don't have to pay attention but now it's in their house. Was and so else, there's a different sensitivity to it. So. Was anybody else surprised about the fact that smoking uh, is more commonly a cause of death from opioid overdose and uh, snorting as well? I, I wasn't as aware that uh, they were surpassing in, in IV administration of these drugs, snorting and smoking. And I was surprised to see that they are now a more common cause of uh, drug overdose deaths. Anybody else surprised or did you, were you all aware of that? Not aware, but not surprised either. 
Okay, well, I guess uh, our children and grandchildren have to become more mm. aware of the fact that by smoking and snorting, they have the same risk as uh, by taking an IV. Sometimes they aren't aware of that. And maybe the media, we, we've done a great job of showing that injecting drug use, um, it, it was uh, visualized as something horrible and something that you didn't want to engage in, whereas snorting and smoking is more glamorized. <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, to consider, you know, how how dangerous, you know, sharing needles can be, you know, all the other uh, diseases you could die from AIDS and things like that, um, hepatitis C, uh, and all the other uh, auxiliary uh, diseases that get passed on with dirty needles. So, I mean, it's, it's much cleaner and directly to the brain. <laughs> smoking. smoking and snorting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we talk about uh, uh, xenotransplantation, and uh, one of the things that uh, we don't talk too much about is the fact that we get diseases from uh, dogs, uh, cats, and, and other species. And this is becoming more and more an issue. Uh, we talk about the uh, smallpox, monkeypox, and cowpox, and these other things in which we're getting diseases from uh, animals, other species. And this now is becoming more and more an issue. Uh, and so it's important to, to recognize and be aware of the fact that uh, the, the so-called uh, pets can be sources of, of disease as well. Many of you have pets? Yeah, yes, we do, but yeah, and and keep in mind that uh, and and so zoonosis is when you have uh infection that's uh comes from one species and goes to another. HIV was the, was characteristic of it, but there are many uh zoonotic infections, and that's what zoonosis is. <clears throat> it, it seems like they're many more pets today than it used to be. I mean, wow. it seems like every other household now has a pet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I can see why the rise in. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, amazing as you go down the street, uh, mm -hmm. you see so many people out walking their pets. Yeah, and some of them have two and three. Yeah. I think it's COVID related. In my neighborhood, I mean, during COVID, that's all you saw up and down the street. Big ones, little ones, fat ones. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, since this is Black Hair, since this is Black History Month, I got to talk about our real heritage. Uh, you know, we're descendants of Africa. In Africa, having pets is not an African thing. Uh, recently, they started doing it, imitating Europeans. But uh, having pets is very, very much a part of European culture. It's not yeah. ours. We can yeah, talk well, about we we love them things, but they ain't healthy. Well, you know, in Africa, you know, the, the pets would eat us rather than. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in Africa, well, especially let me talk about Nigeria. 
those people who maintain pets are well to do. They are fairly rich people. You know, majority of people in my country are poor. They can't even feed themselves. How much more maintaining a dog or a cat? So <laughs> if they maintain a dog or a cat, the cat is on his own or her own. You know, on the streets, in the marketplace, um, in, in marketplaces looking for food. So mm -hmm. they don't pay too much attention to pets, you know, especially in my country, because um, uh, they have to feed themselves and, and their children first before they think about pets. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. African small village, uh, dogs don't live in the house. They may live outside the house. You don't feed them, you don't name them. Exactly. But they have, they have a value because they will bark when the lion is near. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good pet. <laughs> Dr. Calder, I've been um, avoiding pets for over 30 years because <laughs> when I uh, had my liver transplant back in 1993 and my immune system was very low, I just felt as though I should just stay away from pets. Okay, thanks for sharing. Uh, this is interesting because uh, loneliness is now uh, declared a public health emergency in Silicon Valley. Uh, loneliness is a, a problem that uh, is surfacing more, and I think the pandemic uh, uh, heightened it. Uh, but uh, it's interesting. That's the first county to. to make such a declaration. Uh, loneliness is uh, uh, something that uh, actually kills. I mean, <laughs> smoking diabetes and all those things uh, are problematic, but so is loneliness. Uh, and uh, so it's interesting to see that uh, this surfaces as, uh, as we look at dementia, depression, anxiety, heart disease and stroke, uh, that uh, we're putting that in the same category as them, which is uh, it's overdue, which is overdue, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, Dr. Callan, I see that it's tied into depression and anxiety mm -hmm. as well, that you've talked about. Yeah. Loneliness, wow. You know, you think uh, one of the things that is interesting to me is that John Tatum talks about his father who uh, uh, wasn't lonely because as he got older and his his friends died, he got younger friends. So uh, it's interesting well, there you go. The, way, the way that people <laughs> cope with loneliness. Uh, and that was a, a superior way that he coped with it. I thought it was fascinating. Huh? I have a dear friend of mine who <clears throat> lost her husband last year. And since then, living in the house by herself, she is a different person. She's almost unrecognizable to what she was before her husband died. Really? We are, a couple of us are really concerned, you know, she, mm. she left a text on my phone the other day, Betty, please call me. But that's been a week ago. I've called her. I've texted her. No answer. No. Tell, 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 t
she, and the airlines too. She's she was so outgoing. She actually was a <laughs> a Playboy bunny. At really? Yes. And uh, she was an airline stewardess. She was really? flamboyant. But since her husband died, she is, I invited her to dinner Thanksgiving. And she came in, she wouldn't even sit at the table. She sat on the side, she was ready to go because my dinner wasn't ready exactly when I said it was going to be. She was ready to go and I kind of talked her into staying. She stayed a little while and, and ate her dinner, and then she was ready to go. I had even asked my sister who lives around the corner from her to pick her up. So, cause it's kind of, parking is kind of difficult in my neighborhood, but she definitely said, no, I'm gonna drive. And I see now why, because she wanted to be ready to hit it whenever she got ready. And so um, I talked to one of my old friends, both of these, these are church members, by the way, John, old church members of mine. Mm. And um, we, he's been trying to call her. She, he got, she must have answered one day and said, oh, I'm getting ready to get a shower. I'll call you back. Has yeah. heard. So I, I have made up my mind. I've got to go, go by there. She lives not too far from me. So I've got to just knock on the door. Whether she'll open it or not, I don't know. But. Yeah. She has children? children. She has one daughter, but they aren't on the best of terms. <laughs> and um, she has two grandchildren, but they don't. I guess the daughter also sees this change. So she may not want her children around her right now. Yeah. You know? But it's 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 difficult. She got good memory. See, yeah, she, she I mean there's nothing wrong with her memory, she just she, like my husband said. She she years wine. ago she told my husband when I come to see you I'm gonna bring you a bottle of wine and when she came for Thanksgiving she brought the bottle of wine. Wow. <laughs> it, but yeah. her her demeanor and the way she acts is just a total total change. So loneliness I said all of that to say loneliness is really something. Yeah. Any other kind? Before we go to the next one. Yes, go ahead, Elizabeth. Oh, I just want to say I'm saying goodbye. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. All right. Bye. Well, this is uh this will be the last one, I guess. But CRISPR, we've been talking about CRISPR and genetic editing for quite a while. But it's something that uh, is here to stay. The question is uh uh how much good will it do and uh how do we monitor? Uh, it's interesting that now sickle cell disease and thalassemia and other <laughs> diseases are being uh, uh, treated by this uh, uh, great uh, development. Uh, but, uh, you know, we still don't know the long-term consequences of CRISPR-Cas9 and genetic editing. Uh, but uh, uh, we do know that it needs to be uh, monitored and it needs to be be uh, done under circumstances that we all uh, approve of. Uh, uh, right now, it's supposed to be limited to uh, diseases that would disable or kill you. Uh, and as long as it stays that way, that's probably good. But uh, uh, there's so many 
applications for this genetic editing. Uh, but I, I must remind us all that uh, we don't know the long-term effects of the genetic editing. Although it's something that is gonna be good for the management of many diseases, uh, as the gene editing is demonstrating for xenotransplantation and uh, as we mentioned, sickle cell and thalassemia, and it has many other uh, ways in which it's gonna benefit us, but we must also uh, recognize uh, that uh, there may be downstream effects that we aren't aware of yet. And so the time will tell about the long-term benefit of the many ways in which gene editing is going to affect us. Any comments about this? This will be our last article. We have many others that we'll have to do next week. Uh, I, have a comment. I have a comment, Doc. Uh, so I guess I've been watching too many uh, sci-fi movies thinking about Casper, CRISPR Cas9 as a weapon, weaponizing it to, um, uh, you know, use against humanity. So, uh, I mean, even cloning, you know. Um, so uh, hopefully countries in the world and scientists in the world will, you know, be ethical with the application. I mean, there's, there's hardly any uh, international control over that. I don't, you know, I mean, some countries are, you know, positive and good, and some countries aren't. Okay. Uh, well, I'm not scared. I'm just excited. This could be a cure for cancer. Yes. It'd be a cure for anything. You know, as it has, the, the, as you say, the positive use of it is astounding. Uh, we have not even addressed the negative use of it. Uh, and so, uh, you know, many things, it's not whether we can do it or not, it's whether we should do it or not. And so this is the aspect of it that you're referring to. And the uh, local, regional, or international uh, monitoring of it becomes an issue. Okay, uh, I guess we'll close with this. I see uh, Carol, asked uh, us, Carol, did you want to tell us uh, about your comment on the, on the, uh... <laughs>